Welcome, welcome lovely listeners to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I am your host, Mike Turner, and joining me in our studios in Southern Illinois is a man who went to a soccer game and found out he nearly needs to work on his Frisbee skills, perhaps to go to a developmental league. It's producer Mason. How are you doing today, Mason? Well, better than you in on the Frisbee department. Yeah, <laughs> I we'll didn't have... take one to the face. <laughs> uh, we'll have a little bit more on that later in the show. And also joining us from his uh, studio in a cave somewhere in the wilds of St. Louis County is a man who, despite reports, his, uh, his firing from this expansion podcast did not happen today. It's Sean Campbell. How are you doing today, Sean? Oh, I'm doing pretty well, considering I know my Frisbee skills are still intact. I just have to use them once in a while. Uh, well, maybe we'll work on that. Maybe at the next tailgate. Or or maybe before the next tailgate. <laughs> is more... We gotta have a preseason for our Frisbee. That's right. We need to get out and have some workouts and some, some, some drills to uh, heighten our skills. And some people would say that about our podcasting skills as well. But, uh, you know, some might say that I, I refuse the license. We got a, well, we got a tidy show for you today, I think, after last week's uh, two-part two uh, behemoth. Thank you all if you were able to make it through all, what, what was it, an hour and 45-plus minutes of podcasting last week. Uh, we got uh, some information on St. Louis City and, of course, City 2. Uh, we've also got uh, upcoming friendlies. And important friendlies before the World Cup for the U.S. men's national team. And, of course, a roundup of some MLS action that we want to stay on top of before St. Louis City actually joins MLS. We, uh, yeah, we cannibalized uh, some time from this show for last week. So hopefully it'll be a little tighter <laughs> this it time around. It comes out in the wash. <laughs> on the average, we're, we're trying to make it tidy. Not doing so well, but uh, we're getting there. St. Louis City SC did drop some uh, news today. Uh, they are starting up a U14s team for the academy, going a little bit younger, and they announced a head coach. And it's a delight to see that uh, they went with a female coach. Megan McCormick has been hired. Uh, she'll be the head coach of the team to get them in shape. She'll also be tasked with scouting St. Louis youth soccer for talent to bring into the academy. She most recently was head of player development for Kansas City, Scott Gallagher, and uh, has a lot of experience, uh, experience as a college coach at DePaul University with various roles in youth development, U.S. Soccer Federation, and does have her senior class A uh, license from U.S. Soccer. So uh, U14s at the academy, not the highest profile job, but a, a, really an essential one and bringing in talent to bring up through the academy, and it appears that St. Louis City SC is going to be so dependent upon youth development for the first team, uh, it's a very important hire, and when they, they want to try to get the best people, the best person possible. And hopefully they have done so, and wish the best of luck to Megan McCormick in her new role in the academy for St. Louis City SC. Yeah, um, this kind of caught me off guard, not for any other reason than we when we last heard about expanding the academies, U14s were an idea being tossed around. It was the U15s that had been confirmed. So to find out that not only yes, we are getting a U14, but we're getting announcing that with the signing of a coach came as kind of a surprise to me. Yeah, I don't think they really have a league, but uh, they did say if other 
teams in MLS Next were going to start it up, they'd be following suit. I don't know how much competition there will be within this group. I think her biggest thing will be uh, courting, uh, you know, spotting and courting talent to join the academy, at least in the beginning. That's my own. I have no inside information on that. That's just my own personal opinion. Uh, so that is uh, surprising, but uh, that gives a well-rounded academy for sure. And then uh, just expect more information on the U15s going forward. Yeah. Um, in MLS Next, they do have uh, competitions all the way down to U13s. So a U14 and a U15 academy will be able to like compete in MLS Next. But uh, we haven't got word that they'll actually want to compete yet. Yes. But that is an option if uh, if they want to go that route. So that's interesting news and something uh, we'll see how that develops going forward and try to keep on top of that as best we can for you all folks uh, from this point until they decide not to do it anymore, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, we've got uh, City 2 news in MLS Next Pro, the lower division league, the tier three. Uh, we did go to this game, Mason and I, on this one. Uh City 2 had a draw at home against the San Jose Quakes 2 team. Uh, they didn't get both points under MLS Next Pro rules because with a draw, you go immediately to a penalty shootout, and the Quakes won that one 4-3. So one point for uh, St. Louis City. And uh, on this one, it's something we're getting to see a lot from the team. They started out, they really had the better of play uh, in the early part of the game. Uh, especially throughout the first half, but they were unable to get a goal across. A lot of the play happened in the midfield. Defenses were tight in the back. Uh, not a ton of scoring chances. City 2 had most of them in the first half. Coming out of the break, though, big start for St. Louis City 2. Uh, Rosa gives a nice pass into Victor Diaz, who came on at the halftime. He scores the goal in the 46th minute, and... You can imagine us supporters were out there going nuts. And before we even stopped celebrating, uh, Quakes 2 had a free kick. Nice kick from, uh, I don't even have the name. My bad. And uh, maybe not Ian McGrain and Goal's uh, best uh, moment. Again, didn't have much to do. Uh, but they scored three minutes later in the 49th and uh, played out the end, waiting for a city goal. Seems like they had opportunities. Uh, but it never happened before the end of the 90. Yeah. Uh, for Quakes 2, that was Rudy Castro. And it wasn't even three minutes later. It was two minutes later. Oh, yeah. It was. We were it still was, cheering and celebrating. and Yeah. Bang, bang. Yeah. Like, they Quieted restarted play and then got the free kick and scored, like, right away. Yeah. So uh, he quieted the crowd pretty quick right there. That was unfortunate to watch because it uh, wasn't a fantastic free kick, but it still got through. And uh, tied up the score. That's all you need, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, really sapped the energy because like we just gotten the we just hit pay dirt after all the pressure that we'd been putting on in the first half. And we thought, OK, yo, here comes the momentum and here comes the, the shift. And then bang. Yeah. And then you go to penalty shootout. Anything can happen. A couple of saves, one miss. And uh, the Quakes 2 got the extra point out of that. Uh, that drops uh, St. Louis City 2 into 6th place in the MLS, MLS Next Pro Western Conference. Easy for me to say. Uh, they're on 
I believe, 16 points on that. They still have at least one game in hand of, uh, uh, on all the teams ahead of them. Houston and North Texas uh, with the Dynamo and FC Dallas as uh, developmental teams. Right now, they're still the class of the division at, I believe, 22 and 21 points. Mm-hmm. 22 um, for Dynamo and 21 for North Texas. And uh, the next game is City hosting the Houston squad. Uh, that comes up Saturday, Ralph Cordy Stadium in Edwardsville, Illinois, on the campus of Southern Illinois. Edwardsville, uh, that should be a big game. Uh, be sure to be there. We probably will not be able to make this one, though we'll catch the stream on MLSNextPro.com. As long as it performs. <laughs> Always yeah. a question on that. Yeah, who knows? And maybe since it's a home game, we'll, uh, it won't shut off as soon as we score. <laughs> but that happened last time, too. So, yeah. And as usual, uh, we were there from the uh, well before the start of the game because the uh, St. Luligans uh, do their tailgate. Uh, had a lot of other uh, clubs. Well, a couple. We saw our... Good friends at uh, SLC Punks, they're doing good work. No Nap City was there as well. The Thieves had a presence, show up, make some noise. The drum corps, of course, and in good voice for the game. Uh, always a good time, meeting up with old friends, meeting some new ones. Uh, after the match, we also came back and... Uh, These are when the Frisbee shenanigans yeah, happened. we were standing there and all of a sudden they started breaking out the Frisbee. Oh, yeah, I'll play. And Mason and I couldn't catch a frisbee worth a darn. <laughs> I uh, I used to be quite good at it. One bounced off my hands, hit me right across the bridge of the nose. After my illness, I'm on blood thinner, so I had to take a bow and try to stop bleeding for about 15 minutes. Not the proudest moment of my life, that's for sure, but sure had a good time. Yeah, everything was uh, a whole lot of fun. A lot of friendly folks, and uh, if you're still out there listening, you never made it to one. I highly, highly encourage you to go to a tailgate and uh, just meet folks. Walk up, say hi. Uh, everybody's willing to see new faces. Really, really looking forward to it. I know I walked up to faces I hadn't seen before and said hi to quite a few of them, uh, just to make it welcoming because that's what it's really all about we're there for a common cause everybody's a friend yeah it was a good time um yeah regarding the frisbee shenanigans um i at least managed to not go over but um i i went for a nice diving catch had a beer in my hand hardly spilled any didn't spill any on myself and i pop up and i thought it was really cool except for the uh the small part that i didn't catch the frisbee <laughs> well i also have to hey. question your decision making for going for a diving catch in a concrete co- parking garage hey too. hey hey <laughs> if i learned anything from my my days of playing pickup ultimate in college it's all about the show if you can make it look badass it ends up being badass even if you miss the catch yeah it did not look badass <laughs> <laughs> hey he didn't spill his beer that's yeah, yeah. that's the important part I, it reminds Priorities. Me, it reminds me of a uh, uh, i talk about john boyce a lot it's just because I really like his stuff, but um, reminds me of a bit from a, a John Boyce video where I think they were talking about the Mariners, and uh, he's like, yeah, you know, comes right to him, grabs a ball, double clutches, perfect strike, and now I know what you're all thinking. You have to have the ball to throw the ball? That's lame. That, that's loser thinking. <laughs> that's how I felt. <laughs> oh, you have to catch the Frisbee for it to be cool? <laughs> Who cares? 
And if you're not familiar with John Boyce, he does a lot of uh, baseball-themed, especially, uh, videos. Recently did a, uh, a long uh, series on former SIU Carbondale, my uh, alma mater, uh, star pitcher Dave Steeb, who was a star in the 80s for the Toronto Blue Jays. And uh, never really got the press he deserved. Also lost a couple of no-hitters with like, you know, two outs in the ninth. Uh, so my hat's off to John Boyce for that as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, with, uh, yeah, the Dave Steve documentary is highly recommended for me as long, along with the uh, the Seattle Mariners one. Yeah, he uh, he does that in conjunction with Alex Rubenstein over at SB Nation. Uh, if you guys have not watched those, I highly recommend it. And enough about John Boyce, because he's not paying us for this. <laughs> if you want more, he can pay us. That's all I got to say. But uh, really, this uh, that's about all we have about St. Louis City this week. Uh, time of the year where either we're going to get big news and a lot of it, or it's going to be quiet on the front. So we'll see how it goes. I'm sh- This will all start ramping up very seriously come uh, November and around the uh, just after the World Cup. Uh, as a really MLS's season has ended, uh, the World Cups are out of the way and they start uh, building the roster. Something to very much, very much look forward to. Speaking of the World Cup, the U.S. men's national team uh, is really gearing up for their preparations for the World Cup that uh, they'll begin play on November 21st. Uh, so they have got a well, four games in the current it, during June. This week, uh, they will be a couple of international friendlies against better competition. And then later in the window, they'll be playing with the CONCACAF Nations League with probably less challenging opponents. But it's, you know, mandated through the uh, region. They're all actually friendlies. Nations League is an organized uh, cup situation around friendlies to keep really... What the Nations League and CONCACAF, just like UEFA started this, is to try to boost friendlies by staying everything in the region to boost the FIFA rankings of lower teams in the region. Not really helping out the U.S., Mexico, and Canada in their preparations for the World Cup. But this upcoming friendly, the first one, will be uh, the night of the that this drops on Tuesday, June 1st. We're recording as, uh, excuse me, Wednesday, June 1st as we're recording on Tuesday afternoon at per usual. It'll be at uh, 6.30 p.m. Central Time, of course. Uh, that's an ESPN2 game, an ESPN+, Plus, as long as uh, previous programming doesn't run long uh, on ESPN, maybe we'll get a 6.30 televised start for this. And just before we forget to mention, uh, this game will be against Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, against Morocco. The uh, Atlas Lions, named for the Atlas Mountains that dominate Morocco and for lions because, well, you know, they're big, maned creatures with long, pointy teeth and big claws and loud voices. And I guess they, they think that's a good mascot. <laughs> and they're probably right on that. Uh, no, does that <laughs> mean that I should be nicknamed the lion? Because I, <laughs> I got sharp, pointy teeth. I, I have a big old 
mane of hair and a big old beard. Does, does that mean I'm a lion? How's does those fingernails? Are they sharpened into claws? <laughs> you got a big uh, voice, Not too. quite, but they are quite long. You could work on that. Then you'll be the lion. Well, I mean... <laughs> We're all really overstating this because really what the, why they're called that is because the team is actually made up of lions. So this is going to be a really rough game, I think. <laughs> no, we don't need any more injuries on the U.S. <laughs> men's national team. As uh, they're going to be without Jordi Mihaljevic, uh, perhaps the outstanding player in MLS so far this season. Uh, he picked up an ankle injury this past week, and uh, he now had to withdraw from this. And... He's brought into camp. He really probably has a skill set that uh, the U.S. men's national team could use, though the position he plays doesn't really fit in their system. Uh, if he would work, then perhaps he brought in and make it play at least in uh, maybe a change of format, something like that. But uh, he's not there. Also, uh, Chelsea star uh, Hakim Zayek uh, is uh, a Moroccan national but he's out of the team because he doesn't like their head coach and has retired from international football. We've seen this quite a bit. He probably will stay retired until the head coach is changed. Uh, so, you know, John Brooks is missing from the U.S. men's national team. Hakeem Zayek is uh, missing from Morocco. So it's kind of a push in this friendly. But don't forget, we're also missing Zach Steffen for a family matter. And he's been replaced by Sean Johnson, but... We do not have a replacement for Mihailovic. No, uh, they actually had a big roster in. They're front-loaded with attackers, wingers, etc. So Berhalter, it probably Mihailovic is there to see if he can break into the team. I think they're really trying to settle on. I think they've got the eighty percent of the team is probably set in stone already, and they're looking to see if anybody's hot can bring in a skill set or something that they missed. Uh, there's a few of them on the roster. Mihaljevic is probably the key one to break in. He's had caps before. Uh, they, Berhalter reportedly had said he wanted Mihaljevic to show that he's more goal dangerous. He's very much shown that in his club play. And unfortunately, he got hurt at the worst possible time. I was going to say, it's a real bummer on the timing then. Yeah, it really is. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not just that. Like, he was also... there. They're, the MLS guys, Charlie Davies, and I can't remember who he does it with, but they did a podcast episode where they talked a lot about um, about Georgie being linked to some moves over in Europe. I mean, considering in the offseason he went and trained over with Bologna, um, this is just the absolute worst timing for him to get an injury because not only is he was he called up for the international window, he was being linked to moves across Europe this month. And now he he was in the middle of an MLS MVP level campaign and all that just one one little injury. And even if it's he's just out for a couple of weeks, that's enough to that could completely derail everything for another year or two. Certainly blows his shot at uh, the national team, most likely, because rosters are probably going to be set after this for the World Cup. And with the Oh, yeah, he's not making a team for this cup, but he might make it next cycle for sure. Uh, there's still a chance. There's a September window. If he's still this hot or still playing, there's a chance he can get in. Doesn't seem to be a serious long-term injury. It's just the timing. It's terrible. And as for the Bologna rumors, uh, the Saputo family and uh, Club de Foot Montreal uh, have a real tie-in with Bologna. So it's a, it's a natural fit why he was training there and why they'd be looking at him, especially given his exceptional form. Uh, so far this season. 
uh, getting back to the Morocco team, uh, what you can expect. This is a high-quality team. You might not be familiar with them, but this is a quality team. Uh, they breeze through qualifying uh, coming out of Africa to going to the World Cup. One thing there is they're exceptional on transition. Uh, they can play some really good low-block defense. It's the kind of test that uh, the U.S. men's national team is probably really going to face as they take on especially teams like England and Iran and uh, Wales, uh, if, if that's who they play in the first round of the World Cup. Uh, those all teams play a similar style. Uh, what's some of the things that we're looking for heading into this friendly to keep an eye on knowing that we actually really don't know much of anything coming into this? You got any ideas there, Sean? Well... I'm not quite sure what I what to expect so much as what to keep an eye on. Um, what uh, my my biggest concern here is that that number nine position, who starts there, who shows the best, and makes the best case for being that number nine to start in the World Cup because that's been our at this point in the game, it's our it's our biggest problem is we don't have a striker that is slotted in that's that's our number nine our back line's pretty well set we have a good idea of who our starting midfielders are going to be we have plenty of options out on the wings but that number nine is is the problem and that's what i want to see and i think that's one of the things that burhalter is going to be putting a lot of watching on yeah i think uh, jesus ferreira has really wrapped it up not so much he's missed a lot of sitters and hasn't scored for the national team though he is uh, really scoring a lot in mls and that's a great sign but his movement, his playing as a false nine, has really seemed to have opened up the offense, especially in the attack in the, uh, you know, at the final end, uh, has done better than any of the other strikers in doing that. And I think he's locked in, but do need to see him score. But if you're looking up for hold-up play or a poacher in front of the, the goal, uh, he can get in the box and make that movement, but that's not really what he does. But he does other things. He's played well. The team has looked better with him in. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and then even on top of that, with um, Ferreira and um, Paul Ariola playing together for club, those two have been a lethal combo. Oh, So yeah. if you put Ferreira and Ariola together on the national team, you know, have to see how their play style works in the specific system for for Triple G, but they've been nasty for club. Let's see if they can be nasty for country. Oh, absolutely. Um, but going back to Mike's point a little bit, uh, yeah, Ferreira's great at the hold up play and he can draw defenders. But at the same time, depending on who we're going up against, what kind of system they're playing, we might want someone who can make those incisive runs, is really good with the ball in their feet, and actively causing fits in the box, not just drawing a defender away and opening up for other players, but to actually be the threat. Um, not necessarily on like a Harry Kane level, but someone like a Harry Kane that like, yeah, you have someone else that could score if you, if you mark him instead, but you have to mark him. And even when you do, you can, he'll still get by you and score. Yeah. And uh, of course the only other striker is Haji Wright, who was tearing up in the, Turkish Super League, he's getting a chance. Maybe he'll get a uh, chance to look. He'll get a lot of looks, I think, as a substitute here. I think Ricardo Pepe's really earmarked for the future, but uh, he's had a long period of time uh, of playing without a break, plus the transition as a 
well, as a kid, uh, moving overseas, uh, club form fell off when he got to the Bundesliga, but I think in the future, but will he be ready for this winter's World Cup? I don't know. The next cycle, he's an exciting prospect to bring in here. Areola, the partnership with Ferreira, it's looked good on the national team. I don't know how much Areola is going to actually start to play. Probably more of a sub. Uh, he's more of a specialty player. He's in if they're expecting perhaps maybe somewhere like England where you need somebody to really push the press, uh, put in the work rate, get back on defense and also caused problems with his pace up front. And he's been a lot more, you know, uh, danger, dangerous in the attack uh, so far this season, quite so for uh, FC Dallas. And he's shown in his MLS career, uh, see how that works. But he's not really, Ferreira starts, I don't expect Areola to really get that kind of uh, game time. Another question is, and it talked about it with the movement of uh, Ferreira, can they get behind the defense in this game? Something to look forward to. Uh, one word that we got out of Burhalter with the press conference today is that Brendan Aronson will be starting, but not on the wing. He'll be in the central midfield, which he did against a, the really poor game at Panama. Uh, didn't really show much there, and I uh, hasn't really shown much, at, uh, especially with the Union, any time he was in the midfield. Berhalter's going to give him a run out there. Uh, Weston McKinney, coming off injuries, probably only good for 20 minutes in uh, this upcoming game on Wednesday, is what Berhalter said. So Aronson's going to slot in there. We've got no Giorena to bounce around. We're loaded with wingers. We're expecting Pulisic and Waya to be on the wing. I think they pretty much earned that. Uh, got good backups in Jordan Morris and Aronson on the wing. Areola, uh, there's people to back up there. Uh, Reyna, when he comes back. Uh, so you, how are they going to shift? That takes Musa out of the eight. Will he shift a little further back? Perhaps fits his style to link up the uh, back line with the uh, front line a little bit more. And, of course, Tyler Adams will be the rock at the back of the midfield. Uh, Aaron Long, coming back from an Achilles injury. He used to be the number one uh, center back or number two behind John Brooks. Long is back. Brooks is out. Walker Zimmerman has locked down the number one center back position. Through his play, his uh, attacking ability, his prowess in the air, and just his veteran leadership. He's been sort of a de facto secondary captain on the field and often gets the armband if there's a substitution. Yeah. Zimmerman starting there with a bullet. That one's easy. Yeah. He'll be in oh, there with 100%. Long. We know that. And Matt Turner will start. Not a surprise, especially with Zach Steffen out. I think Burhalter still likes Steffen a hair bit more in his system, but Turner has improved his work with his feet. He'll be leaving very shortly. I think he's what one game left in MLS. Yep. It's been announced uh, lately that uh, he's got one game left, and then he'll be moving over to, well, basically be a backup to Ramsdale at Arsenal in the Premier League. But a big move for him to, to increase his development, and we already know he's an exceptional shot stopper, and he rounds himself out. He can move into that number one slot. But a very good competition with uh, Zach Steffen for that. And uh, good competitions. what we need. Uh, Ethan Horvath, by the way, is the third goalkeeper on the squad. Uh, Steffen's out. 
personal reasons that bring in Sean Johnson's been very good for NYCFC this year, perhaps his best season. But uh, Ethan Horvath, uh, his team, Nottingham Forest, won the richest game in all of sports, the uh, championship playoff for promotion, which one game, one off game is worth uh, up to $300 million uh, in TV revenue if they stay up a second season. Uh, Horvath, uh, backup, had very few appearances, but because of injury, got called in for stoppage time for six minutes in the end of that pressure-packed game. Uh, but their opponent, Huddersfield Town, never pressured him. And uh, his team, Nottingham Forest, will move on. Look to see. Horvath is a backup. They know him. Not that expensive. They're going to have to bring in other players. Let's see if he sticks with Nottingham Forest uh, when they move up. It's not always a given. Uh, in that case. Uh, another note from the press conference today with Burhalter is uh, Joe Scali, uh, the young kid that's uh, had a breakout season in the Bundesliga and a fan favorite of many uh, U.S. immense national team fans on Twitter, uh, Will is not expected to start, according to Burhalter, but he did impress so far in camp. So we'd like to see some work because He's one of those guys that can uh, work on both sides as a defensive back, the left and the right on that, uh, especially early on. He was quite impressive. Uh, not sure if he's up to starter level for the World Cup at this moment, but uh, he does bring a certain flexibility for a World Cup roster when it comes down to it. No guarantees he'd make it, but uh, he does bring some flexibility. Horseshoe theory doesn't work for politics, but it does work for winger positions. <laughs> uh, the one thing with the, the rosters at the World Cup is you want people that can play certain positions, especially if they're not going to be starters with your subs. It gives you the ability to slot people in. It's Christian Roldan with everything he brings, both uh, positionally and uh, leadership on the field. Uh, I expect him to be there because he's like a switchblade knife to bring in as a late substitute if needed. Uh, even though I don't expect him to get a lot of minutes in the World Cup, I expect Berhalter to have him on the bench as like a safety blanket more than anything else. He's he's like the super glue you throw on at the at, you know onto a pro, onto something right as it's about to break you know it's starting to crack you put that super glue on it and it keeps it together. Yeah, it's what. Those... Sorry, I just love bringing back that glue guy analogy because that's the best way to explain Christian Roldan. Honestly, people people inside the game, players, coaches, and very interested observers, they are actually hugely high on Christian Roldan. It's the fans that really just bringing him up makes me sweat to be honest, right now. <laughs> but uh, uh, people within the game uh, uh, love what he does. He is considered to be the single best performer for his salary in MLS. How do we tease this much analogy uh, analysis out of my incredibly stupid joke? <laughs> we got a cover for you somehow. <laughs> it speaks to the unbelievable talents of the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> extrapolation is a wonderful talent and it's really good when we're when we're really good at spewing bs uh well i guess all right uh that's it for me then bye everybody <laughs> mason no stay we need the source of the bs to extrapolate from <laughs> feeling really feeling like a valuable part of this program right now <laughs> you're the source mason <laughs> After your work on two parts of last week's last week's recording, you are an incredibly valuable source. <laughs> and speaking of valuable uh, uh, players within a squad, uh, 
some of the players on Morocco to keep an eye on in this friendly, you know, tonight when you hear this. Uh, their sc- leading scorers forward, Youssef uh, Nazri plays for Seville. There's three Seville players, Sevilla players on this squad for Morocco. The other one is the goalkeeper, Yassine Buhu, who ended up being the La Liga goalkeeper of the year ahead of Thibaut Courtois of Real Madrid, who just excelled in the Champions League final and had a very good year. And I've even heard people moot him as a getting top five votes for the uh, FIFA uh, player of the year. Uh, not sure about that for a goalkeeper, but uh, for him to get that ahead of uh, Courtois is surprising. Uh, they've got uh, Romain Sellis, a center back. He's their captain. He plays for Wolverhampton in the English Premier League. And uh, Ashran Hakimi, well-known right back, extremely talented, one of the best in the world, currently playing for Paris Saint-Germain, uh, formerly with uh, Borussia Dortmund, was on loan, played for Inter. Uh, really interested. It, there was concerns that he wouldn't be in this squad. It looks like it will be. And very interested in seeing how the wingers match up against him, uh, because that'll be a definite test for the U.S. team. So one thing before we move on to talk about Uruguay, uh, another game happening today for you listening is the Scotland-Ukraine UEFA Path A semifinal. Now, this uh, not going to talk too much about this, but this is going to determine who heads off to play Wales, who then will go on to face us in group play for the World Cup. So this is a game to keep your eye on. Yeah, if it, uh, plenty of soccer right now as uh, the Nations League in in uh, Europe is starting. That's going to be televised. You've got this uh, World Cup playoff game, the three-headed monster still going on be- because of the uh, unrest, let's say, the, the, uh, Call it the what bald-faced it is, the invasion, invasion <laughs> and enforced war from Russia on Ukraine, let's say. Uh, so three-headed monster between Scotland, Ukraine, and then Wales to see who the U.S. meets in that November 21st matchup. I believe that is the first one. I believe that you're correct about that, yeah. And uh, moving on, the the second friendly for the U.S. MNT is coming up uh, on Sunday at 4 p.m. Uh, it'll be against Uruguay. Uruguay, you probably well know, it is one of only eight countries to have ever won a World Cup, having won in 1930 and 1950. Um, Got a few names on that roster you may have heard of. Luis Suarez, though I believe he is out for this friendly with injury. Edison Cavani, recently a striker at uh, Man United, though he's out of contract there. Uh, Darwin Nunez, Benfica, very good player. Federico Valverde with Real Madrid, outstanding. Uh, coming off of the Champions League win for Real Madrid this past Sunday. Diego Godin, uh, well-known veteran leader. He's fallen off in clubs so far that he's not even playing for his Brazilian side, but uh, still, from all indications, has been doing extremely well for the Uruguayan Uruguayan, uh, national team. A name you might be familiar with is Diego Rossi with Fenerbahce, formerly of LAFC former Golden Boot winner in MLS. Uh, you got uh, Lucas Torreira with Fiorina. And a name that uh, Sean might be able to tell us a little about is uh, Rodrigo Betancourt with Tottenham Hotspur. 
Uh, I know that I know this is an audio medium. We don't do video, but if you saw how excited Sean got <laughs> when that name came up, oh yes, um, I've very much, very much have liked what I've seen out of Betancourt uh, in the midfield under Conte in uh, for for Spurs. Um, he's been getting mostly on off the bench as a sub, but he comes on and makes an immediate impact on the game. Uh, very dangerous. Uh, he he's got a scoring touch. He can he can pass pretty well, making decisive passes. Usually, he'll end up teaming up with his former teammate over Inter in Kulusevski, who has also been phenomenal. But different podcast there. But no, Betancourt. Uh, as much as we talk about you know all the names that are out there that everyone knows for these Uruguayan strikers and forwards, uh, their midfield is also absolutely lethal, and they will cut you up like a Ginsu knife does a tomato after chopping through a soda can. It's yeah. if incisive is the best way I can put this midfield in general from this team. And especially Nunez and uh, Valverde are lethal with quick shots from well outside of the box. Uh, Got to be on your toes for this. Very good test. Not sure uh, how many of the stars will actually play in the friendly, but the Morocco and Uruguayan friendlies the U.S. is a very important opponent for them in their buildup to both teams going to the World Cup. Uh, U.S. gives them a quality team that could be expected to get to the round of 16, as I think both of these teams think that they have a real shot of getting to the round of 16 as well. So I do expect them to bring out the, the A-teams, perhaps in these friendlies, you know, given health and everything else. Uh Expect Uruguay also to play very tough defense, low in the box, try to hit on transition very hard. They're lethal that way. Uh, so it's going to be a good test. Don't have a lot of information about the roster and everything else like Morocco. Focus a lot more on Morocco, but uh, two very, very important friendlies. And uh, it, it, really, leading up to the World Cup, these might be the two most important friendlies that they actually get. Uh, before the World Cup comes up. Not the usual lead-in with a lot of top teams. Uh, the split-up of all the divisions, like we talked about with the League Cup, really hurts because they're tied up in their official pro uh, programs with their uh, regions. Like the League's Cup has tied us up for two of our friendlies here, also working that way in Europe as well. It's also the first time under uh, Greg Berhalter that uh, the U.S. will face an African team. Uh with a different style, different tactics, different things going on. It's a very good test. They did play a re uh, friendly against Uruguay in the recent past. It ended up being a draw on a late uh, Jordan Morris goal. And just one last note on these friendlies is these are friendlies. Uh, winning is not the primary goal. Uh, developing, watching players, especially some of the ones that were brought into camp, is going to also be a primary goal here. Maybe putting players in unfamiliar positions to see if they're what their strengths are. Like Brendan Aronson does has not shown well in central midfield, but the sample size is small, so he'll get a run out to see. It's things like that. Uh, so that's what you can expect uh, from this week's action. And then the is it the following week? We've got the League's Cup games against Granada. That's a walkover. And on the road at El Salvador, both these friendlies are at home. Might have liked to have seen them play this tough competition on the road a little bit, but uh, 
everybody wants to come to the U.S. for bigger payouts. Primarily, the U.S. doesn't really want to travel. And uh, so the big deal is really these two friendlies against very good teams in Morocco and Uruguay. It's time to go ahead and take a look at what happened this week in MLS. And uh, starting us off with the rundown is our own Sean Campbell. What do you got for us this week, Sean? Well, first, we've got some breaking news that was brought to us this morning, uh, this morning of recording. Uh, out of Charlotte FC, they have fired Miguel Angel Ramirez in the middle of the season. And you have to wonder why they did that, considering it seems like they were having a pretty good run of form. Um, they're on the bubble right now as it stands, but they've had some good results, had some good matches. Um, and especially as a first year team, they're really putting together a good campaign. You almost have to wonder if maybe part of it was finally waiting long enough for the fans to forget about the preseason comments from Amira's about the roster situation. And the, the ownership group is finally saying, you know what? We're, we had enough. We don't want to give you another chance to make another comment like that. Yeah, that could be. I heard uh, some talk that uh, supporters aren't very happy in Charlotte right now. They did like Ramirez's honesty, even if the comments were probably not what the team liked to hear. Uh, and basically, there's a lot going on in Charlotte. The fans are not happy with the uh, the seat licenses for season tickets, the first team in MLS to do it especially in an older stadium, an NFL stadium. They were so tied up in their huge uh, attendance for the first game. They've dropped down. Only the lower bowl is now open, probably be for the rest of the season. If they're based on attendance, that's insane. They're still looking above their 30,000 people a game target, which is quite good. Um, the team form, they lost a couple of games this week. They lost in the Open Cup, and they lost uh, when Seattle came back in the second half against them in Seattle. That happens to any team, much less an expansion team. Yeah, Road and, form hasn't been good, but they've been quite stout at home. And it's an expansion team. <laughs> exactly. Uh, losing two games in a row at this point in the year, your first year, that's kind of par for the course. Uh, the team didn't really give the fan base any reason. Oh, we just thought it was a time for a change. Uh, there's been a long march of uh, people exiting the front office uh, under billionaire owner David Tepper. Uh, they've lost people to help them found the club, set up the club. Now they're getting rid of the coaches. Some of the staff is left. They're walking out. Uh Maybe they needed a culture shift in there. You know, they got a cultural revolution going on in Charlotte. It's it's hard to say. Uh, something is, it's something to keep an eye on. Something just isn't quite clicking in personalities in the office rather than on the field at Charlotte. It's the only thing you can take from this because they were about as transparent as brick wall and letting people know what in the world this is all about because no one... No one expected this. I don't think anyone was calling for this. It's just bizarre. This is an interesting change in the the source of problems for Charlotte, though, because going into the season, we all thought it was going to be roster, right? We all thought oh, they waited too long. They've had to put together a slapdash roster, and it's not going to work. They're going to play really poorly. That hasn't really been the case. They've put up a pretty decent campaign so far, especially for a roster or uh, for an expansion team. 
Instead, the problem has become the front office, which I didn't expect, especially from a first year team. You'd think that they would have gone out and gotten people that they liked that would at least stay on for a season. I thought they had developed some talent early on, but it hasn't worked out that way. What do you mean that it's time for a change? It's a third of the way through your first year. <laughs> it's almost as if the they took the approach to this that every expansion team has the possibility to be Atlanta United, come out first season, blow the doors off everybody, and then they got into this not realizing what, what all it took to be in Atlanta United, and then... When they didn't get the results, like, all right, time to just change everybody out so we can get the people in to make us the, you know, the, the team that comes in, takes everyone by storm and becomes an automatic force from the get go. And it's that's not how you do that. Uh, it's just not. The owner Tepper is the richest man in MLS, and uh, he made a lot of promises about that. They're going to come out like Atlanta. They didn't get their players right. The spending didn't happen. They haven't spent like uh, words were. Uh, sometimes you just think there is a certain arrogance uh, that they were just going to dance their way through this. And it, it uh, that feeling in me has not uh, gone away at all. And these just sort of add to that. Uh, I also heard that uh, Ramirez, the whole idea with the him coming in as coach and the whole idea of the way the structure was going to be, that it was just going to be a coach, not a manager in charge of player personnel and all this stuff. And then word came was coming down that uh, he had earned the right to have a little more say, and now he's cut off at the knees. Uh, very just unexpected and bizarre is all I can say. But this stuff happens in the sport. It it just happens. Sounds like uh, it could be thing, a little though, bit of scapegoating. Uh, the Charlotte Panthers, the NFL side of this ownership, they hold on to a coach that uh, just isn't very is not getting results at all, but they cut him off at the knees. It it has to be personality clashes and perhaps a power struggle going on somewhere in there. But we don't know. I don't remember if, if I said this on air when we were talking about um, Vermees' struggles with SKC, but I know that I've said it off air that owners can be fickle. And billionaires especially are not good judges of character and not exactly bastions of good decision making. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's baffling to anyone who's been following the team. But I don't know, maybe the, the ownership was just like, well, we're not getting results right now. I want to return. Get rid of him. Now, if you if, if the ownership's coming from a corporate structure, results aren't really what keeps you in a job? It's more being a team player or perhaps even a yes man is really what does it. And that comes over into athletics. Athletics is really more of a toy for these guys, but they still rely upon the way they run things. And it doesn't always work in a sporting sense. But uh, we just don't know. We're speculating and uh, bringing our own biases into this. So probably enough said there. Uh, what have we got next, Sean? Well, we have a, another rebrand this year. Uh, that's right. The Fire aren't the only team that rebranded their logo this year. We got a new release from CF Montreal. And for those of you that have already seen it, you'll you'll notice some striking similarities to a certain team that played in USL that may or may not have been in this city that may or may not have had their own beer named after them and 
played in the blue and green. Um, that's right. Their logo is basically the SCLFC logo with a shield superimposed behind the Fleur de Lis. That's the only difference other than it's blue and black instead of blue and green. It's the same logo. It's the same logo. It, it is remarkably similar. <laughs> um, but it, it, it also is a throwback to the Montreal Impact Crest, which is the real reasoning behind it. And I think it looks really sharp. I like it a lot more than I like the current CF Montreal logo with the really dull gray snowflake that looks kind of boring and doesn't pop very well. Um, this one is pretty bold. It's got good colors. It's got a good design. It does look a lot like the STLRC logo, but of course it's going to. It's a roundel with a fleur-de-lis. But just in general, I think that teams have gotten a lot of pushback from rebrands trying to distance themselves from their historical crests. And it's that's kind of what happens when you get a bunch of McKinsey cranks in to, you know, advise their way for a hundred bucks an hour into how to redesign your your logo to be bold and modern and instead it looks really lame and doesn't have any connection to your sporting history. No, that's what happens when you hire consultants to do what you should know as the owners of the team. And they're going to want to make changes and make big changes to justify their <laughs> their extensive fees that they charge for doing crap or, you know, sketchy type work. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, going, going back a little bit to Mason, um, I'm all for a rebrand to throw back to an original design or to the team's history. Uh, but this just seemed more of like a change just for change's sake. Uh, while also bringing in that using the going back to the old logo as kind of like a a a, a thinly va a veil over it to make it seem like it's not just a rebrand for rebrand's sake. Um, mostly because that the current logo for CF Montreal is I like it a lot. It's simple. It's different. Um, and one thing when a lot of teams rebrand or make a new logo, they go bold while making it seem simple. But they do too much when they don't need to. Like the classic logos, when when I think of a classic logo for a team, it's simple, easily recognizable, and it's different. And it doesn't need to be, you know, all uh, too much going on. Like I think this new logo has a little bit too much going on with the shield in the circle. Yeah, this is kind of just like an agree to disagree on like aesthetic reasons. But I get your point. And uh, it's my understanding that uh, part of this redesign of the crest has to do with the fans uh, being unhappy with the last rebrand because they eliminated their history. Now, Montreal Impact, to be quite frank, was just a stupid name to name a team, but it was the team. Uh, but so you go back and uh, they went ahead and decided that they, since St. Louis FC is uh, uh, no longer, you know, active, then go ahead and take a defunct USL Championships <laughs> logo and rebrand it and make it theirs. Yeah. They put a little shiny stuff like lights on it, which seems a little overly digitalized of a uh, soccer logo. But yeah. Yeah, that's a little gaudy, but I generally I like it. But I mean, like, yeah, like Montreal Impact, it's not a great name, but that that's a club that's older than I am. They have history behind them. It's a club that's been around for nearly 30 years, or at least a name that was that was almost around for 30 years. That's true. It'd be like the Sounders or, you know, it, up there in Cascadia with those teams that have been around for so, so long, bringing their 
heritage and their history, proud heritage and history, deciding, oh, this is, you know, this isn't good enough for us. We're going to go ahead and screw that, especially if any of them get new owners. I can't see, especially Paulson and uh, the owners there in Seattle ever doing that. But I could see the Whitecaps doing Hot take. It. Hot take here. If uh, Seattle ever gets new ownership, they change their name and logo and become the Seattle Sockeyes. And then they completely re- <laughs> rebrand everything. And they're just, and this only happens if they get the wooden spoon. That only happens if, if they get the wooden spoon. Do they sell the team and just, just blow everything up? They got a, they got a, they got a salmon with a soccer ball as its eye. I, I, I like that. <laughs> Even hotter take, they should take the Seattle Pilots name. Oh, no. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, going back to, to Montreal Impact, um, like I get the changing of the name, but um, because they, they want to they want it to not be anglicized. They want to embrace the like the Quebecois. Right. But the logo was the, the shield was fine. I understand the wanting to change it into a roundel. I didn't like the CF Montreal Quest very much. We've already been over this, but it's. It's good, I think. It, it's it's a team that has history. I get why they want to change the name, but I also like that they're going back to the old crest. Uh, to be quite honest, and this is probably not popular opinion, I'm not terribly in love with the St. Louis City SC name or crest, but it's ours. Yeah. It's why we're starting. There's no way to go back now. Uh, so... I like the crest. I'm not huge on the name. <laughs> I'm about the crest. I think we could drop the SC and just be St. Louis City, and I think that'd be fine. But people would get it too confused with Lou City, and we we already have that whole thing. You know, we've already talked about that at length. Everyone knows about the King's Cup. Yeah. So, and also a, a big thing with crest is that it comes down to bickering about like aesthetic preferences. There's never going to be a, really a right or wrong answer. Pretty much the only wrong answer is to let consultants, excuse my language, rat it to death. No, what it, it murdered. Uh, what it comes down to is. Uh, <laughs> Mason taking full liberty with that. I know. That button here. I'm the one that has to put it in. I should get to use it, too. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> So moving right along out of this absolute um, PhD level <laughs> dissertation on crests, let's move to some actual <laughs> gameplay in the in the MLS. And we're going to start off with a team that had an absolutely huge week, not just in MLS, but in U.S. soccer, period. Galaxy get a win in the U.S. Open Cup version of El Trafico, and they have a massive comeback against Austin FC. With Jovalich absolutely exploding onto the scene. He's been dynamite every time he's shown up on the field. Uh, he sets an MLS record by being the first ever sub to be a contributor on all four of their goals in this comeback. And he might be putting some heat on that seat that has Chicharito playing number nine. Uh, actually, the biggest thing is you might be looking at Cabral and Grancier and their midfield or wingers play that hasn't been there and they're not creating chances. He comes in with Chicharito. Is he going to fa- force Greg Vanny to start looking at this two-striker com- uh, combo to try to inject some attack? Uh, because 
they looked so much, they came back, they dominated once they came in. Uh, that could be an important thing. Putting two up means does he go to a two four, the the old standard two four four? Does he go with a diamond? But uh, Jovalik's been so good at scoring those late goals, and uh, he just has a fire and a certain arrogance about his play that speaks L.A. Galaxy, and uh, a big week for him. And how about them taking El Trafico, and then the supporters group for LAFC doing silent treatment for the team because they lost to their rival nothing to do with any politic or stance of that just just because they lost to the rival it's a little over the top i honestly think that's i wouldn't say that's over the top i think that's a proper reaction um considering if you think about it from a fan perspective booing what you know when you when you boo your own team it sends a certain message where it's it, it's it's displeasure, but it's also like we we know that you could be better. It's it's one type of dissension from the fan group, but silence speaks much louder than any sort of booing you can do towards your own team. And this was... silence means this is unacceptable. Fix it. And LAFC it's more is emphatic. LAFC is rolling in league play. And this was a game against one of their biggest rivals, their crosstown team in, I don't know, I'd say arguably the second biggest cup competition in, in the, on the continent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But come on, 32, 52, your team's still leading the supporter shield by three points. <laughs> it's a cup game. Well, yeah. It's a one and it's done a cup, cup game. game. Right. And it's, it again, it's more emphatic to say, Losing in this cup, especially to our rival, that is unacceptable. And rather than just voicing it by set by booing, by not saying anything, that is more of a statement, in my opinion, coming from the fans saying, "Hey, you're you're leading the supporter shield, and you cannot lose to our rival, let alone in a playoff format during the league." Sure, it happens. We can make it up in this in the table. You can't make up make up points in the table in the U.S. Open Cup. You just can't. It's not how the competition's set up. I guess my take on this, and we'll move on. It my my biggest take is the silent treatment is the harshest that you can do. Booing would have been more apt in this case. It it you know if you got this team with a lot of movement and a new coach, sometimes the cup runs come out aren't really the best thing for your club, especially when you're going for a supporter's shield and trying to win the MLS Cup for the first time. You don't want to be distracted by a U.S. Open Cup uh, run. Just a little harsh. It, it, rang, it rang badly in my ears, I guess. But moving on, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a game for which ni- neither side are we big supporters of. Not that pressed about it. No, not really. But yes... Moving along from one team that's on a roll to a team that looks nigh unstoppable at this point. How about NYCFC coming out and having a huge week as well? Um, and with their run of form, I think they're, they've won their last, what, five or six matches now in, in all competitions. Uh, you have to wonder, is it, is it too early to talk about a repeat? Is it too early to talk about them getting a double? Are they going to, is it too early to start talking trophies here? 
Maybe if they win the double, they'll finally get a home stadium that's actually theirs. Will they, if they get the double, will they get an actual banner or will they just get a slightly bigger piece of printer paper that says repeat champions? (laughs) Yeah, they they have to cut the current banner in two so that they can attach a piece of printer paper and write in and 2022. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. They don't cut it in half. They just they they make it a double sided banner. They just print the next year on the back side. <laughs> oh, we're so mean to NYCFC. <laughs> but hey, they deserve it. They're running the league right now. They are absolutely <laughs> steamrolling everybody and anybody. They can take a little bit of criticism. All they, right. They were at first a uh, you know the silky uh, uh, attacking team that was outscoring everyone. Now what they've got? They've tied the MLS record with six or is it seven clean sheets in a row uh they've transitioned to being stout defensively their back line is fantastic uh they've got got some grit to them too now you know they it sounds like they're probably are finally going to lose tati castellanos uh west ham rumors are strong at the moment but they've got talis magno they've got santi rodriguez in attack They're, they're well set up to do it maxi morales even though he's old for a soccer player, but not old compared to me, uh, is playing at a high level when he's healthy. They've got a lot going on in that team, and if now they're going to be stout defensively. Wow, they look like a juggernaut at the moment. I, I, I have to say, I just looked it up. The last time they lost a match, the last time they lost a match in any competition was the first leg of their uh Champions League semifinal against the Sounders back on April 6th and they've only drawn two matches since then. Everything else has been a win. If they've been coming up in it's been coming up in spades. That's almost two for, months for of of unbroken like wins or draws. And they were fantastic in that second leg against Seattle. They really were. The first leg is the last time they probably looked bad. And the last time they let up a goal was um, against Rochester in the Open Cup. They won that game, won 3-1. The last time they let up a goal in the league was April 24th in that absolute goal fest uh, against Toronto. Yeah, it's in April. When this show drops, it's going to be June. Yeah. Happy Pride Month, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah! You know, uh, there's another high-profile team on the opposite side of the continent, that's on uh, kind of a high right now, aren't they? I'm looking at you, David Beckham. Tie in. <laughs> Define opposite side, yeah. I guess north versus south. I was gonna say, <laughs> do you mean you mean opposite opposite uh end of the same coast? Cause that'll work. But yes, Inter Miami is having a decent had a decent enough week. They've been doing pretty well as you know, as of late in in the league, uh, they've won their last couple of games in in all competitions. They're drawing against teams that maybe they should have lost against, especially the draw. The what is it? What about what's the word I'm looking for? Either way, the team that draws a lot, the Philadelphia Union, they got them nil nil. Uh, they beat Red Bulls, they beat Timbers, and they drew against Orlando FC or Orlando City. Um, they're they're looking pretty good as of late. They've moved into a playoff spot. Yeah. Yeah. And kudos to Gary Neville. He's taking control of this team. He's got to play in a different style. He's got Gonzalo Higuain sitting on the bench. 
who seems to actually kind of bought into the super sub appearance. Uh, their uh, loanee Leo Campagna is scoring at will. How about Lewis? Uh, well, they gave up Lewis Morgan, who had an absolute screamer for Red Bull New York, but the the allocation money they got for Lewis Morgan really covered their uh, penalty for their you know front office shenanigans with their DPS, and really allowed Chris Henderson to really do a good job of bringing in people to fit roles on this team. Will they hold that playoff spot? I just don't know if they have enough talent. Uh, but this team is playing much, much better, and they look like they finally had the sort of team that they should have had in the first year, uh, building pragmatically instead of going galactical right out of the bat. Just it is not an option that you can really do in MLS anymore. The league has gotten too good for that. You got to really build your solid foundation. It almost seems as though David Beckham came into the league, bought a team, and then thought, okay, so I won a bunch when I was on the Galaxy. Maybe if I spend like that, that's how I'll win in this league. Not realizing the league has changed so much, and he's had a bit of a learning curve, and now he's figuring it out. Yeah, and after the embarrassment of the Moss brothers uh, starting to cause all that DP problem, has Beckham got that involved, or is they? They hired Chris Henderson from the Seattle Sounders. So integral in why they built a team. Did they hand the reins to him, which would probably be the smartest decision they will ever make as owners of that club, to be quite honest. All right. So transfer talk. Moving along outside of gameplay and the Crest dissertation, we've got one last thing to talk about in MLS this week, and that's transfers. Well, mostly rumors at this point. The only solidified thing we have so far is Matt Turner has, as we mentioned, one game left in New England before he arrives at Arsenal. Um, but we have a rumor on his teammate currently, Adam Buxa. He has been linked with a move to League Unside, RC Lens. Yep. Interesting to see where that where that takes him if that materializes or not and with Buxa, um, if you're the Rebs, you got to take that because Buxa was not that he came in with a lot of uh, hype didn't live up to it the first year but that often happens in MLS he's been very good this year and if you get a decent transfer fee for him sell him because you've got Bo who's not quite the upfront striker plays a little off the back but you take that money and run oh agreed um, another big payout seems to be coming for um, Gaga Slonina has we've seen rumors that he has a bid coming in from none other than recent UEFA Champions League champions Real Madrid and uh, even Slonina has been just gobsmacked uh, there's people that are uh, really looking him as for his age and his skill set as one of the best young goalkeepers in the world uh, the comparisons that he has with some of the best goalkeepers that have ever played the game are already coming in for people that make your ice pop. Uh, and Real Madrid will be coming in for him. He won't play for them for a long time, probably out on loan. But when you've got a young, young goalkeeper with this sort of skill set, the top teams are going to come in because the age for prime for a goalkeeper is usually in uh, their late 20s into their 30s. He's got a decade almost of development time heading up to that. 
you look at Donnarumma, who left Italy, moved on to bigger things. He was also in that same thing, and he was highly coveted and sold for huge amounts of money. That's what they're looking at with Slonina. Yeah, Slonina's raw. He makes a lot of mistakes, but he's obviously a good keeper. So get it, get him young and build him up. Oh yeah, he's been he's been talked about as maybe breaking into you know that third spot as goalkeeper for a, for some of these windows. It hasn't really materialized, and I don't think it was going to at this point. A little but too early overseas this cycle. And, yeah, he's yeah, too raw for yeah. the national. But if he goes overseas and really gets that experience abroad and can really build his game to that next level, um, I wouldn't be surprised if next cycle we see him in there in that conversation in the mix with Stefan and Turner instead of Johnson or Horvath. Yeah, the, the fire had a really hot uh, prospect and goalkeeper, and they suddenly traded him off, and I forget the name, he's kind of disappeared. Everybody wondered why. It's because they had somebody better coming up. Uh, they're now leading the Wooden Spoon race in MLS, so I... Sorry, our good friend uh, Tio Luis, but uh, the fire, if they lose Selena, things aren't working out for the fire as everybody thought they would again. That's a sad. Well, I think it's safe to say that with Cincy being as good as they have been surprisingly this year, someone was going to have to take the spoon. And it, I hate to say it, but I think everyone kind of thought it was going to either be Chicago or Toronto. So... They got their attack, uh, bringing in Chris Cashmuller in back from Hibs in the Scottish Premier League. Uh, they've been much better in the attack. They're actually kind of threatening. But all of a sudden now they've gone back to their defense, can't stop anyone. And uh, they had a great hire with Ezra Hendrickson, seemed to be doing everything right. Uh, and now back to the same thing. It's It's tough. I mean, to uh, to ease the blow for Chicago fans, although this is going to be very upsetting for for Sean, uh, Sporting KC's putting in Chicago. A pretty you can't, good you can't see it right money. now, but I am giving Mason a nice little gesture to let him know to stop talking. Yeah, about he is. It. You telling Mason he's number one <laughs> with a bullet. maybe with a bullet. Yeah, I may also be telling him that uh, I may also be showing him something similar to the Twitter logo, if you know what I mean. Um. But yeah, Sporting KC has not been, they've not been getting results, but we've beat that injury horse to death multiple times this year. And we didn't I've already had my rant. Atlanta United's probably also heading down the path of injury devastation like Sporting KC this year. Uh, they've lost so much in their defense that was shaky to begin with. Yeah, we've talked about it, but this is really just kind of a bummer year for SKC, but I think they'll bounce back. Atlanta United's yeah. been on a backslide. It's not looking great for them. And I Chicago, it, after a decent start, has kind of like returned to norm, unfortunately. They got beat four to three by a Toronto team that's playing the kids. Bob Bradley's having to really get beat up a lot in Toronto, but he's bringing up, a, he's bleeding, he's, you know, Blooding in a lot of youngsters into that team, and some of them are extremely talented. There, there's a payoff there. The Fire doing that a little bit more, but I think they spend a lot of money, man. They're paying a lot of money in salaries for the results they're getting. We talked, <laughs> you know, ad ad nauseum about that, but uh, they they should be getting more out of what they're doing. One good thing, just to get my little piece in. 
one thing to think about is the fact that the last two games that Sporting have played, they drew and then they lost, but those games were both without Shallowy because he got an extra suspension for that red card in the game against the Rapids. So he will be back for that game against the Revolution, and that's the only silver lining I can think of. I just wanted to not go out on a sad note. <laughs> and hey, it, it it's better if uh, Sporting KC is up at the charge, considering everything that goes on with that team. It's actually great for MLS. Would also be great for MLS if the Chicago Fire were a lot better than they are. But that's just not the case right now. It'd also be better for us as uh, STLSC supporters if uh, our Chicago regional and... competition were better. <laughs> yeah, maybe we're missing the wrong year, though. Maybe we could beat up on them in the first year before they beat up on us in our first year Yeah, uh, when it comes around. Any more rumors out there? Nothing else comes to my mind outside of uh, one that is seeming to be materializing more and more by the day. Looks like Giorgio Cialini is going to be signing in to LAFC sooner than we think. Yeah, what is he? he? He's like 38, 39. Uh, still one of the best, uh, you know, defenders that have ever played the game. Uh, probably they've got Mamadou Fall with LAFC, a real uppercomer. As a young player, maybe they want Cellini in to help mentor him. Uh, their form, their defense is still a little shaky, even though they've got some signings back there. And uh, maybe they just want a name also in the L.A. market. It's really hard not to have a name in the L.A. market. I don't think Cellini's that great a name, but he is for soccer fans. I think there's more to it, and... It, it seemed to be a crazy rumor at the beginning, and it's got legs, and it came, seems to be keep getting stronger and stronger. Be interesting how it works. Well, the L.A. sports market did lose a big-name old guy earlier in the season with uh, Pujols coming back home to St. Louis, so they need another big-name old guy <laughs> in their sports market. <laughs> Honestly, I thought I thought this league was be was past retirement signings, but I think this is a retirement signing. Um, although this one seems to have a little bit more importance than just getting a big name, I think he might be there to maybe bring some influence into some of the younger defenders they're trying to bring up. Um, you know, because sometimes veteran presence does a lot more than you think. And usually when when they were doing retirement signings, it was, we're getting guys that everyone knows just to put people in seats. I think this is a retirement signing to up the quality of their younger defenders. Yeah, I mean, I, cra by <laughs> osmosis. I cracked that joke about Pujols, but that's why the Cardinals mostly got him was one, so that he could retire as a Cardinal, but two, because he's a veteran club, veteran presence in a clubhouse full of young guys. Oh, yeah. Half the half of the Cardinal game broadcasts, not to start another podcast, but half the Cardinal game broadcast is just, oh, these guys, the, the young guys talk all about how they, they get this, that, and the other thing from Wayno, from Yachty, from Pujols when they're just chilling in the dugout. I think that's why they went out and got Cialini for this one. Yeah, and uh, also, as a center back, that's it's one of those positions where old age and treachery can beat youth and enthusiasm. And he's a very wily player back there. And you just never know. He might be past it. The MLS is no longer a retirement league. There's youth. They're the attacking. It's so front-loaded in the attack. He might be overwhelmed. He might find it as overwhelming as he's actually 
uh, founded at the top levels in Europe, perhaps even more because it's so top heavy. But he brings a lot of nous, a lot of knowledge and how to play, a lot of how to, you know, if the legs can't do it, he's figured out how to get himself in position. He's seen so much. He knows how to anticipate things that other players don't see, and he just has an innate talent. I'm not sold on it, but you can almost see where they're coming from on it. Uh, if they want to take the flyer and it actually comes to pass, I would like to see how he performs. And uh, to be honest, if he still got some of the game that he had, that he had for uh, Italy in the Euros, sure. I'd like to see him play in the, I'd be rooting for him. I don't think he's, you know, going to be there for a long term. And maybe he wants to transition to coaching and uh, a way to play and do this also fits into what he's looking for. I don't know. But if they do it, I'll root for him. He's awfully, he's been awfully, awfully good for a very, very long time. Anything else out there, guys? That about does it for me. I think that does it for me. We'll say one more time to beat the drum. Really want to see St. Louis City SC put plaques or paint the walls in the concourse and the public areas to highlight the history of soccer in St. Louis with the U.S. Open Cup winners, the great teams, historically the great players to come out of St. Louis. It's what they really should do to hammer home how important having this MLS franchise in MLS is to MLS and to American soccer as a whole. Just want to say that. Also, we mentioned it last week. We have changed podcast hosting. If you were receiving us in a certain podcatcher or some fashion that we're missing, please shoot us an email at soccercapital at gmail.com or a DM at soccercapital on uh, Twitter and at Soccer Capital Podcast on Instagram. Or just do that if you want to harangue us. Yes, you can do that as well. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, if you send us a nice question or something in an email, maybe we can scrounge up a sticker or something to send to you on that. Keep that in mind. But that's about all for this week. We'll try to wrap this up uh, much shorter than last week. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your resident cave-dwelling hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. We really appreciate you listening. Bye for now.